0: Well, we've come now to the longest prayer that Jesus prays in the entire gospel account and really in the whole Bible. And it's John 17. If you're new with us, we're glad that you are here. We're going through John's gospel. We're gonna go through John 17, sometimes called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And as we go through this, we're gonna learn Jesus' heart for the world, his heart for us, and we're gonna learn even how we might be able to pray as he wants us to. So it's a long passage. I'm only gonna read the first five verses now and we'll read the rest as we go through the, the rest of the message. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "'Father, the hour has come. "'Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you.'" You may sit down, let us go to the Lord now as we seek to understand and apply his holy word. Father in heaven, what a gift, what a treasure it is to be able to get a window into Jesus' heart in prayer. We ask by the power of your spirit that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive what you want for each one of us today. We want to encounter you in your word. And so we ask that you would come to us in power now in the name and authority of our Lord Jesus, amen. Well, I want you to think about the thing you like to do most. What are, what are some of the, the passions you have in life or a hobby that you have in life? Just think of one of those things. If you've got that in your mind, What would you say if I could tell you, I could hook you up with the world's foremost expert in that given area? You'd probably jump at that chance. And that is the concept of a business that was started not that long ago, it's called Masterclass. And Masterclass is this online class, you gotta pay a big fee, but you get access to the world's leaders in all sorts of areas. And so if you're passionate about making movies, you can learn about directing from Ron Howard. If you're a little bit passionate, like our family is about basketball, you can learn about shooting a three-pointer from Steph Curry himself. Or if you're interested in writing, You can learn from famous authors like Dan Brown or Amy Tan, and it it goes on and on. If you're interested in politics, you can learn from certain politicians that I won't name because you may get offended. So I won't even name them here. But today's passage is far better than any masterclass that is produced by men. What we have in John 17 is we have a masterclass given by Jesus himself, the Son of God himself. We get to learn from the Master. We get to learn his heart, we get to learn what it means to pray in the Father's will. And so as we look at this text, we are gonna learn in greater way how we should pray. We're also gonna learn what God's heart for us is. And what we'll see through Jesus' prayer, this high priestly prayer, as it's called, is this overarching theme. It's that Jesus' main priority in prayer is the glory of God. And therefore, that should also be our main priority in prayer. Jesus' main priority in prayer is the glory of God, and therefore, that should be our main priority in prayer. And what we see in this text, in this prayer, Jesus asks for God's glory to be magnified through the following three means. In verses 1 to 5, he wants, he's asking to be glorified through his own glory. That's in verses 1 to 5. And then in verses 6 to 19, it's through his disciples' witness. And then in the final part of the prayer, he's asking that the Father might be glorified through the unity of his people. That's in verses 20 to 26. So let's dive in now and see how Jesus does this. How does he ask for God's glory to come first through his own glory, starting in verse one? Well, I want us to notice first what Jesus does not pray for because he doesn't pray as many of us start our prayers. He, he, he doesn't pray for his own comfort. He doesn't pray for safety or for his family's medical ailments, as important as those things are. That's not what's on his mind. As he comes to the end of his life, as he is looking towards the cross, his, what's on his mind is God's glory. It's the most important moment of his life, and he is praying for God's glory. His prayer is a display of intimacy and reverence of the Father. And since Jesus knows that his Father's glory will be most magnified if he himself is glorified, listen to what he says in verse 1 says, when Jesus had spoken these words, what we've been covering the last couple weeks, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And right off the bat, you may be filled with a question. You may be thinking, well, how can Jesus pray for this? How can he pray for his own glory? Well, it would, it would be wrong if you or I were to pray for this. We, we can't pray for our own glory because glory belongs to God alone. The reason that Jesus can pray for his own glory is because he himself is fully God. And so being fully God, he can ask the Father to be glorified because that is what he deserves. But even as he prays for his own glory, he is praying, did you catch it? For the father's glory to come through his own glory and in these first five verses Jesus is asking for two aspects of glory to be given to him two aspects of glory which had not been linked until this moment in history the glory of the cross and the glory of heaven so let's see how Jesus prays to be glorified through the cross first we're tipped off that he has the cross in view when he says, the hour has come. If you've been with us through John's gospel, you'll know that when Jesus talks about the hour, when he first uh, turned the water into wine, he said, woman, to his, to his mom, woman, my hour has not yet come. He's frequently said, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And now he is praying. He says, the, my hour has come. And in John's gospel, the hour symbolizes Jesus' death and resurrection. So Jesus has the cross in view because it's through the cross, through his death and resurrection, that Jesus will glorify God because it will lead to salvation. And salvation is from God alone. So listen again to the end of verse one, and I'm gonna read through verse four as he talks about this. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. You see, God the Father is glorified through salvation whenever someone who deserves eternal condemnation is rescued he is glorified and Jesus here affirms that the father's authority over all people has been given to him he has the ability to give eternal life to whomever the father has given to him and who are these people who are these people the the father has given to the son well, these chosen ones are the ones who will believe in Jesus. Remember the most famous verse in the Bible that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. But there's a surprise in the passage because in verse three, when we think of eternal life, we think of life everlasting, life that never ends. But here in verse three, Jesus talks about eternal life in terms of a relationship. He says that it's a relationship that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Who is the only true God? The only true God is the one who made the snow to come today that uh, is glorified through his creation. The only true God is the one who's revealed himself in this book. He is told us who he is and what he is like as we come to know the only true God through his son Jesus that is how we have eternal life it's through a relationship and so if you have trusted in Jesus today you can take comfort that you have eternal life right now you don't have to wait for it. You have eternal life right now, and it will never be taken from you, even when you die. And if you do not know Jesus, that also means that you are not on the path to eternal life. Because you cannot find eternal life through another religion. You cannot find eternal life by being a really good person. The only way to find eternal life is by knowing the Lord Jesus. And so, if you don't know this Lord Jesus today, let today be the day that you trust in him. That is the way you can have eternal life. So, Jesus is praying to be glorified through the cross, so that the Father might be glorified through the countless millions who will be saved as a result. But then he prays for this next aspect of uh, his glory in heaven to be restored. So listen to verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now we got to take a step back and remember the book of John. Remember the very first uh, verse in the book of John. It was about a year ago when we started looking at John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word is Jesus Christ, and friends, uh, perhaps you need to be reminded today that this Jesus, the one that we worship, is far more glorious than you could ever imagine. He is one, if you were to see him in all his glory, that you would be compelled to bow down in worship. But when Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says that he emptied himself, not of his divinity, that's a heresy. He emptied himself of this external glory. He made himself a servant. The Bible says that he had no form or appearance that we should desire him. So if we saw Jesus as he walked the earth, We wouldn't be compelled to worship him. And in fact, many people were not compelled to worship him. They saw him as an ordinary man. Some saw him as an amazing healer, a great teacher. But not everyone saw his glory. But here, Jesus asks, restore to me the glory that I had from before the beginning of time. He's asking to go back to that state where he is to be worshiped continually forever and ever. And this first section of Jesus' prayer gives us an example of what it looks like to pray that portion of the Lord's prayer that says, hallowed be your name. Your name be hallowed. May you be set apart, may you be seen as holy. Jesus is praying that for himself that he might be glorified, for the Father that he might be glorified. And he wants us to pray in the very same way. If we're honest, sometimes our prayers are not centered around God's glory or Jesus being magnified at all. Instead, they can be focused upon what we want, our desires, our will being done, Jesus stamping our plans for our life. Well, I would encourage you this week when you have Time to pray, when you take time to pray, to spend the first couple of minutes not asking for anything, but to begin as Jesus begins his prayer, simply by praising the Lord for who he is, for asking for his glory to be known in your life and around the world, that countless people would be saved through knowing Jesus Christ. Praise him for his sovereignty, for his patience, for his love. Spend time praising the Lord. I'm convinced that many people dry up in prayer because they spend all their time just in requests. All requests. If you spend all your time in requests, which we should do, you will dry up in prayer. So spend some time praising the Lord this week. Well, that brings us to the second way that Jesus prays for God's glory to be magnified, and it's through his disciples' witness. Remember again the context Jesus is praying in the presence of his disciples He's just finished talking with them And then he just starts praying He looks up to heaven and starts praying His disciples are right there He's praying for them as he's about to go to the cross He's told them that tribulation is coming That the world will hate them because they follow him He's told them he's going away So the disciples are very vulnerable at this moment They're full of sorrow. They're full of fear. They don't know what to expect. And so as Jesus prays for them, he affirms their identity and he prays for what they need to accomplish God's mission. So first, he he affirms uh, their identity. Listen to what verse six says. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. This shows us that the disciples weren't random people that happened to be there when Jesus began his earthly ministry. These were people that the Father had given to him. They were his. They were people who belonged to the Father, chosen by him who, that he gave to Jesus. The Father had determined all along that these would be Jesus' disciples. And friends, this little statement in this prayer should remind us of God's sovereignty. Maybe today you need to remind yourself of how you came to faith in the Lord Jesus, if you know him. Those people that God brought in your life, maybe they were your parents, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a happenstance event, none of those things were by chance. God in his sovereignty orchestrated those things that you might believe. He is sovereign over your salvation. So these disciples were people whom the Father had given to Jesus, but they weren't robots. They had a willful choice to believe in Jesus, and they've done just that. Jesus affirms it in verses 7 to 10. Listen to what he says. He says, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, there's a ton of theology in that whole statement that we're not gonna have time to unpack today. But his disciples, who, those who belong to the Father, they have believed that Jesus has come from God. They have believed that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus says he's praying for them specifically. It's interesting, he says, I'm not praying for the world, I'm praying for them. And that is the pattern that we see throughout scripture. When we see that Jesus is interceding for us in Romans and in Hebrews, he's interceding for his people. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a heart for the world. Of course he has a heart for the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God cares for the world. And he calls people out of the world to be his people. But Jesus is praying specifically for his people. And if you're a follower of him today, he's praying specifically for you, even today. So Jesus prays that a couple of things. He he prays that uh, what they need for God's mission, what they need to accomplish for God's mission. And so even though he's praying in context for his disciples, these prayers reflect Jesus's heart for us today as well. These are things that Jesus is concerned about for us. We see that throughout the whole New Testament. We should also be praying these very things for ourselves and for others. So we need to pay attention. What are those things that he's praying for that for these things to accomplish his mission? Well, to help his followers accomplish his mission, Jesus prays for their protection. And he also prays for their sanctification. He prays three things for their protection. First, he prays for protection of his disciples' faith. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So here, Jesus is asking the Father to guard his disciples in the Father's name. What is the Father's name? The the Father's name represents his character. It represents his power. And so as as the disciples continue in their belief in Jesus, they will be, Jesus says, so that they will be unified with a unity that comes from being part of the same body, with the same Holy Spirit, guiding them with the same mission. And as they're unified, as they're one, this will be to the glory of the Father. Because up to this point, Jesus has protected them. He's been on earth, and he's been protecting his disciples. He has not let them go astray. He's protected their faith. He's echoed what he said in chapter 10, if you remember. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is praying right in line with that very text. It's a good reminder to us that if you truly believe in Jesus today, no one can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. He will never let you go. The Father will guard you and keep you to the end if you're a true follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean there won't be struggles. That doesn't mean there won't be temptations, but the Father will not let you go. Jesus will not let you go. Well, Jesus says that of all the Father gave him, none was lost, or none could be translated, none perished, except for one, that Judas, called here the son of destruction. His situation was different. It was predicted by scripture that one of those closest to Jesus would betray him. And Judas made that faithful choice to betray his master. And he will suffer the consequences of that choice. But even that choice of Judas was not beyond the ultimate plan of God. It was fulfilling God's plan of salvation for the world. Well, so Jesus prays for the protection of his disciples and of our faith. Next, he prays for the protection of his disciples' joy. Listen to verse 13. But now I am coming to you And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see, the world lies to us all the time. The world says that you can find joy by doing things that the creator says are wrong. That's how you find joy. You kind of like sneak around and do something and that's how you find joy. It offers temporary joy, temporary pleasure. You find joy by living for your own passions and lusts, being self-indulgent, watching Netflix all night long. Not saying that's the worst sin in the world, by the way. Living for yourself. But in reality, the greatest joy that you could have in this world is a joy that comes from believing in Jesus and obeying his word. Because Jesus had the greatest joy imaginable. He always obeyed the Father. He did everything the Father asked him to do. And his joy was full to the brim. And he's saying, I want that my joy be in them. That joy comes through believing in him and obeying his word. So he prays for the protection of his disciples' joy. Next, he prays for protection from the world. Listen to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If you remember just a couple uh, verses before, a chapter before, Jesus has explained that the world will hate the disciples because they have believed God's message. And they are not of this world anymore, they are citizens of heaven. And friends, if you know and love Jesus, you are not of the world either. You are a citizen of heaven, and therefore the world will hate you. So don't be surprised. If we know and follow Jesus, we need to remember that we are in enemy territory everywhere we go, because the world hates Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when there is opposition. But with all these prayers of protection from Jesus, we mustn't try to apply this beyond what Jesus is praying for. Because in verse 15, we learn from Jesus about what protection does not mean. Sometimes we can go too far as Christians. Protection does not mean isolation from the world or withdrawal from the world. Listen to what he says in verse 15. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Notice that Jesus doesn't want his disciples to leave the world. And when we come to Christ, he doesn't just send us in an elevator up to heaven. He leaves us in the world to accomplish his mission. This is where we get the phrase that Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. And since that's the case, he prays for protection from the evil one, because the devil would love nothing more than to destroy you. He is like a roaring lion seeking to destroy one of God's people. And Jesus is praying for our protection here. Well, sometimes when we think about this protection that Jesus is praying for, we can get the wrong impression that the Christian life is, being, is about being isolated from the world. That it's about interacting with Christians in this holy huddle or some sort of Christian bubble. And we can just all go and be in this bubble until we all like go to heaven together. And we're, we're in this protective bubble throughout life. Well, friends, I would say if you have adopted that kind of isolationist mindset in the world, that is disobedient. That is not what the Lord has called Christians to do and be. Here again what Jesus says in, in this verse. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Our job is not to isolate but to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs him. How are people gonna know? How are people gonna hear if we're only around Christians all the time? If all the people we'll hang out with are people who know and love Jesus? The answer is they won't. They need to be interacted with, with the salt and light of the world, and he's calling you to be that salt and light. So what that means is if you don't know any unbelievers right now in a meaningful way, you may not be living as God intends you to live in the world. So if you can't think of someone who you actually know who doesn't know Christ, maybe it's time to sign up to coach a team in the park district or to volunteer in a community center or to get to know your neighbors, have them over. Because God has not called us to be isolated from the world, to be withdrawn from the world. He's not taken us out of the world. He's put us in the world. So how can you take a step towards those who don't yet know Christ today? Could be doing one of those things. Could be getting to know your neighbors. Could be joining some organization. But don't be afraid of those who don't know Jesus. You were one of them, too, at one point. And it can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable to be around unbelievers because we are not of the world. We don't think the same. Our values are different. Our goals are different. Our worldviews are different. But the Lord wants us to be engaged with the world so that we might be a witness. So Jesus prays, after he prays for his protection, then he prays for their holiness or their sanctification. Listen to verse 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This means if if we're gonna be engaged in the world, we need to be set apart from the world. We need to be different from the world. The world needs to know that we are different. The Lord is praying that we might become sanctified, consecrated, that we might become holy. And to do that, we need to be immersed in the truth which here Jesus identifies as God's word. God's word is simply one of the main tools that the Lord uses to help us to grow. So as we read it and memorize it and meditate on it and begin to act upon it, we will become more like Christ. We need God's word to grow. And if we're going to fight against the fiery darts of the evil one, resisting temptation, telling others the good news, we need to be full of God's Word. And one of the key words to be ways to be in the world, but not of the world, is to be shaped daily by God's Holy Word. It's spiritual life to us, it's spiritual food for us. Without it, we dry up. And yet, for many of us, it may be a real challenge to stay consistent in god's word so the question is how can you take a step forward in god's word today i know there's people in all sorts of stages of life right now there's a little plug for the the esv bible they have the free app that you can listen to so you while you're driving to work you can listen to god's word and put it in your mind and heart while you're doing dishes You can read the Bible with someone else one-on-one. You can come to a Bible study. You can hear God's word preached on a Sunday morning, which you're doing now. But we need to be people of the word. If we're gonna be people that are not of the world, in the world, but not of it, we need to be people of God's word. Well, we see the importance of being set apart through God's word in the next verse. Verse 18, he says, "'As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them.'" into the world. This is a remarkable verse. Jesus sent his disciples into the world just as he was sent by the Father into the world to do the Father's will. And that was the disciples' mission. But by implication, it is also our mission today because Jesus, as you remember, when he was resurrected, he reaffirmed this mission at the end of Matthew when he said, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So friend, if you trust in Jesus today, if you know him, if Jesus has saved your soul, you are not called to be a spectator. He has put you on his mission, every single one of us who knows and love uh, the Lord Jesus. It's a mission to do God's work in this world. But we're not alone in this mission. We have lots of help. Listen to verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate. That's the same word as sanctify before and after. I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Here again, Jesus foreshadows the cross. That's where he consecrated himself, where he set himself apart and offered himself up as our sacrifice. A sacrifice on our behalf for the express purpose that those of us who believe might have God's very word written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He did this so that we would have the power to be sent by him and have the empowerment to do his works in this world. So because of Jesus' sacrifice, when he sends us into the world on his mission, we never go alone. When you go to talk to your neighbor, when you are interacting with unbelievers, you have never gone alone if you know Jesus, because the Spirit is there empowering you, and he is sovereign over salvation. It's not your job to save somebody else, but it is your job to be on mission, the mission that he has sent us all on. So as we close this section of Jesus' prayer, remember that Jesus always prayed in line with God's will. And the Father is pleased to always answer Jesus' prayers. Don't forget that if you are experiencing doubts in your faith right now, Jesus will never let you go. No one will let you, uh, he will not let any out of his hand. If you are in temptation right now, maybe it's an ongoing temptation. He will always provide a way out if we're looking for it. He promises to provide a way out of temptation. Or when we're scared to share a faith, remember at those times that God has sovereignly placed you in that person's life at that very time so that you might be a witness. They may not come to Christ, but they should see Christ in and through you. So at the same time, as we think about all these truths, we should remember what he has done for us and we should also be praying these things back to God. We should be praying that God would make us more convicted about being on his mission, that he would protect us from the world, from the devil and the various temptations that are there. It's how he wants us to pray. And it brings us to the third way that Jesus asked for God's glory to be magnified in this prayer. And that's through the unity of his people. Because God is glorified when Christians are unified. When we're working together towards the same mission and not critiquing the way that others are doing the mission. I saw this firsthand just yesterday at a one of my son's basketball games. He had two games and there were two very different teams in, this game, in these games. The first team was very disciplined. They were unselfish. They passed the ball. They wanted to win as a team and they destroyed my son's team. <laughs> they just destroyed us. And afterwards I went up to the coach and said, what do you do with these guys? I mean, I was impressed with the coach because of how this team played. The next team we played probably had similar talent, but this team was all about themselves. Guys were chucking up shots they shouldn't have chucked up. They were complaining to each other. They were yelling at the coach. They were full of infighting. And we beat that team by a lot. We, I didn't do anything. I was doing the scorebook. (laughs) But the point is the coach got the glory through the way the team Played in the first game. He also got the fall for the way the team was acting in the second game. You wonder what's wrong with the second coach? Well, it's the same thing, it's in a much greater way as we are on mission together. The Lord wants us to be a team, to be unified together, be going towards the same goal with fellow Christians. Not to be critiquing what these Christians are doing over here or how their finer point of theology is a little bit different than ours. The world will see Jesus through our unity. So listen to what Jesus prays in verse 20. He's specifically praying for you and I. Listen to what he says. He says, I don't ask for these only, not just my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word me. So if you're counting, Jesus prayed three times in these four verses that Christians, those who believe in Jesus, would be one. Verses 21, 22, 23, this unity would be expressed, he says, in love for each other. In sharing, it means that they're sharing life with each other, they're pursuing God's agenda together. And it's in this unity, Jesus says, that the world will believe, The world will know that God has sent Jesus into the world. And it's in our unity that the world will know that Jesus loves his followers just as he loved Jesus himself. In case you haven't realized, unity is a really big deal to Jesus. It's a really big deal to God. It tends to be less of a deal for Christians. It doesn't mean unity, it doesn't mean you're gonna believe exactly the same as every other Christian on every little doctrine. Unity doesn't mean that you will act the same or dress the same or talk the same as every Christian. In fact, when Christian groups are like that, it's weird. It's really weird. You don't wanna be like that. It's not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. But it does mean that you will love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how different they are from you. You will keep short accounts with them. You will seek their welfare. You will partner with them. You will share life with them and resources with them. It assumes that you will be in community with them, that you won't be isolated. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. The Bible doesn't foresee any kind of Lone Ranger Christians. You're part of a body, a community. So perhaps right now you are at odds with another believer. Maybe you're at odds with a Christian organization at large that's really, you feel hurt by fellow Christians I wonder how you can take a step towards reconciling those kind of relationships even this week or perhaps you've been slow to open up with other believers you have been isolated you think the Christian life is just you and God you and God and you're kind of neglecting his whole body You know, if if you want to care for me as a person, you're going to care for my kids. It's not just, well, I really love you, Eric, but I'm never going to talk to your kids. I'm not going to pay attention to them. I don't care about them. The same is true with Christ and his body. We show our love for him through our love for others, other believers, those he has died for. Well, Jesus closes his prayer, expressing his desire for us to be with him in verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Now we know from the rest of the New Testament that this prayer will be answered. It will certainly be answered one day. When we die or when the Lord returns, those of us who know and trust Jesus, we will always be with him. We will see him in his glory, in all of his splendor, and we will bow down and worship. We will stand in awe of being in the presence of our Savior. We will worship without hindrance. Well, Jesus finishes his prayer acknowledging that at this point in history, when he's praying this, most people have rejected the Father. Most people have rejected him. But still, there's much hope. Listen to verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This reality is still true today. By and large, the world does not know God. In fact, the world has rejected God and decided to worship and serve not the creator, but the created things and their own desires. And God has given the world over to its own desires. We see this throughout society all the time. The world thinks that it knows better than God on morality, that it knows better than God on abortion, on marriage, on sexuality, on a whole host of other areas. But, friends, Jesus Christ has come to make the Father known and to reveal God to us, even in the midst of this world that hates Him. And as He says, He will continue to make God known, and He will. He is working even now. Maybe he's working in your heart for the first time to surrender your life to him. He's called us to join him on his mission. And as we do that, we will be filled with God's unending love and filled with the presence of Jesus. The world will learn about Jesus through the love and the unity that believers have for one another. Jesus has poured this very love into our hearts when we believed. He is the one who has unified us by making us part of his body of whom he is the head. He has done the work. Jesus has done the work for us. And he is asking the Father to keep us as one. So with that promise, I hope you are encouraged that you are part of Christ's body today. When you were saved, you were saved into a body for a mission that God has placed you on. And Jesus is praying for you, even now. So as we close, I wonder what surprises you about Jesus' master class on prayer. Is it his focus? on God's glory is it the fact that he has focused on our mission in this world to make God's name known or is it the essential nature of unity that is so much on his heart well, as you reflect on this prayer this week i would ask you to ask yourself what what aspects of this prayer can you incorporate into your own prayers maybe you just need to thank the lord for praying these things for you Remember Jesus' heart for you. He's praying for your protection. He's praying for you to succeed in his mission so that the Father may be glorified. And we mustn't forget that this prayer has been answered and it will continue to be answered. And as we obey the Lord Jesus, that is part of the answer. May we all recalibrate our desires to be more in line with the Lord Jesus as we leave this place today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you would choose to give us this prayer of Jesus so that we could know his heart in your heart. Lord, I pray that you would recalibrate us, help us To see our purpose in this world Which is to glorify you Help us Lord To resist the temptations of this world To resist the sinful nature Within our own hearts Our desire to be First To be uh, noticed For our will to be done Lord we pray That you would do a mighty work in us As a body here At Hope Fellowship Those who are visiting as well Lord, help us to be on your mission that we might glorify you as we remember how Jesus has prayed for us. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.